0: The Origin Story Podcast, Episode 2, Artist, Sarah Hopps. It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life, To find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey.
1: There was just a significant difference in me, I think. You know, I was plugging along for those first two years, working really hard, and I was making progress, but this was was the big light bulb, for sure.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Origin Story Podcast. I'm Michael Henry Harris, your host this is our first uh, real episode, uh, excluding the introductory episode. But this is our first one with a guest, and I am thrilled uh, to be speaking with this person. When I first conceived the idea for the podcast, she came immediately to mind as the first guest that I wanted to have. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, of Sarah Hobbs, the artist. Uh, She does installations. She does photographic installations, and she's also pushing her boundaries into video work as well. And we kind of dive deep into all of that. We talk about what her first opening night was like, uh, how she found her artistic voice in graduate school, how she goes from the idea of a piece to the actualization of a piece, how artists can use their uh, cell phones as visual sketchbooks. Uh, I ask her what her ideal day is like, how she works with her assistant, and we dive deep into her piece, Untitled Spare Room. Uh, if you're interested in art on almost any level and the process artists use to create, I think you'll really get a lot out of this. If you go to turkey.com and go to the Origin Story blog, you will see show notes for the things that we talk about during the podcast, as well as links to her work. So you can follow along visually with the work as we discuss it. Also, if you signed up for the flock email, and if you haven't, you totally should. Uh, she was featured as our January artist of the month, and in that in that email, you see her discuss another uh, one of her works. So, I hope you guys will take advantage of that. So, without further ado, Sarah Hobbs. Hello, Sarah Hobbs.
1: Hi, Michael. <laughs>
0: Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So, at this point, I will have already introduced you, but. Uh, if you were going to introduce yourself or you're at a cocktail party and somebody says, Oh, that girl looks interesting. Uh, What does she do? Uh, How would you describe yourself?
1: That's always a hard question, Uh, right? People always ask me that. And I say, I'm an artist and they say, well, what kind of art? And I'll say photography and installation. Very often people know what that is, but a lot of times people don't. And I have to give a lot of description. Do you take portraits? Do you do weddings? And so it, sort of is just a long drawn out thing and ultimately i just say well here's my website (laughs) just go look at that
0: go take a look and see see if that makes any sense
1: yes exactly
0: that's cool uh where were you born in virginia is that correct
1: yes lynchburg virginia
0: and did you grow up there or did you
1: i did not uh we moved from there to columbus georgia when i was two
0: when you were two okay so no memories of virginia none do uh why did you guys move
1: my dad got a better job, so that's why we moved. Okay. I don't I don't think my parents really enjoyed Lunchburg very much, so they were happy to leave.
0: What kind of work was your dad in? Or is he still in it?
1: He was a stockbroker. He's retired, but he was a stockbroker.
0: All right. And how was Columbus growing up? What kind of town is Columbus?
1: Columbus is family-friendly. I would say it's very different now than when I was growing up. Um, it's relatively small. Uh, there are a lot of parks there, you know, I was never really bored as a kid, but there wasn't a whole lot of culture when I was growing up. Um, so I you know, wasn't often exposed to great museum shows or any the arts. I mean, there was there's music there, but um, we didn't really partake in that very much. It's, it's quite changed now. It's very uh, it's a great place, actually. More I there. artsy now? much more. The um, Columbus State has moved their art program downtown, and downtown has been revitalized quite a bit, and I really enjoy going. I have a lot of friends there who teach at the school, and I uh, have a friend, Hannah, who I collaborate with, so um, it, it's very different. I mean, it was it was great growing up and having a lot of friends and being around friends all the time, but and that was, I mean, it was a happy childhood there.
0: Right. Was your family, or are they into, are they art? I know a stockbroker, but are they into art as well? Was that important to them or to expose you to things growing up? Or how did you first kind of get exposed if there wasn't a whole lot in the town?
1: So my mother was very into art. She was, she majored in French and oh, wow. college, and she lived in Paris for a while after college. And... She always had art books around. Um, my dad's a big reader, so he was very in, you know, into literature. Um, when, when I was, I think, a preteen, I was watching a movie with my mom. And at one point, the characters go to the Art Institute of Chicago, and they're flipping through uh, paintings, and my mom was naming the artists of every one, and I just... I was a bit me- mesmerized. Like, how does she know? And it was my first thought that, you know, well, she knows because each artist has a certain style. And I wanted to explore that further. Um, so that that was really kind of it. Oh, that's and cool. My, my grandfather was a photographer by hobby. So um, that is how I came to photography. Gotcha.
0: Well, that wasn't Ferris Bueller's... Day off. It was. It? It Sweet. was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Yes. Uh, so I had read that your grandfather gave you your first camera. And I know if you read on the internet, it means it's totally true. But uh, is that <laughs> did that actually happen? He
1: did. Yes.
0: And so this was his hobby. What was what did he like to take photographs of?
1: I think it was just kind of everything. He took a lot of portraits. And he did some landscape photography. He, he grew up in Boise, Idaho. So um, he was around, of course, beautiful landscapes all of the time, and you know he had a dark room in a like a building behind their house, and I didn't. I think it was sort of taken apart when I was growing up, but um, he definitely encouraged me in that.
0: Cool. Did he live close by eventually when you were in Columbus, or?
1: Oh yes. When I mean, my mother was born in Manchester, Georgia, so he at. During the war he World War two he was in um, captain's school or some high ranking school or something at, at fort Benning and that's where he and my grandmother met and so he just stayed in Georgia after um, the war was over
0: very very cool so you were how old when you when you got the camera or about
1: mm, I must have been about 10 or 12.
0: So that's old enough to remember and that's old enough to have like an idea of what you want to take pictures of. What, uh, what did you shoot?
1: I, You know, I, I just shot everything. Yeah. I, I would take pictures of my friends. I would take pictures of, you know, stuffed animals. I didn't really know what I was doing at all or what I was interested in, but I just kept shooting.
0: Sweet. Um, do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? when you were 10 would you have said i think it, <laughs> artist photographer <laughs> installations
1: oh no i wouldn't have said that for sure but i th- I, I think i would said photographer but i think i didn't really know the difference between commercial and fine art somewhere in the middle was where i thought it was where you maybe did both um i kind of went back and forth i mean there was one point where i thought I was going to be an attorney there's one point when I thought I was gonna open a store I, I don't know yeah. you know I kind of went back and forth but I always had this drive to make things but I didn't you know there weren't really great art classes when I was growing up in Columbus there really weren't a lot of places to go and learn skills so I had I had tons of art supplies but I really didn't exactly know what I wanted to do with them so I just organized them all the time you know, just you. like organized the crayons the 64 <laughs> box of 64 crayons
0: what so. was uh, what was high school like for you what were you into what were your favorite subjects or oh, was school important was studying important
1: studying was very important I hated high school um all my friends went to another Well, I did have a lot of good friends in, in my high school, but my best friends went to a different school. So I, I, I just spent four years thinking about leaving and going to college. I worked really hard. I was in every club. I was an officer and everything. I did everything I could to build up a resume to go somewhere else. And that's what I spent my four years doing I did not take any art classes because in seventh grade I had an art teacher who was not very she wasn't very nice and she was not very encouraging and I loved art but I did not enjoy her class so it sort of turned me off from taking art classes in high school because it made me nervous that I couldn't that I didn't have the skills, and that I wouldn't be able to be good at it.
0: Isn't that a, that amazing when you think about now? I mean, that you have children, I have a child, and you think about like it's it's the teacher sometimes.
1: Absolutely, it's and my daughter and son have an art teacher who they do not like, and I would say that this teacher has been complained about to the fa- to the head of school many times because she sort of kills the joy. And my kids love art, and they love making art, but I, when this teacher started, there was a significant difference in my daughter's making art at home. It sort of killed her joy for it, and it really makes me sad. So she does it. I think in the summer it sort of comes back. She'll have another teacher next year in middle school, but it completely depends on the teacher.
0: Did you uh, have to read Across Five Aprils when you were growing up? you remember that book? So I hated this book.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I I, I barely remember it. So
0: it's a Civil War thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I was in the fifth or sixth grade when we had to do it, but we had a horrible English teacher, and Mm -hmm. she just destroyed that book. And so my son brought that book home two weeks ago, and I about started hiving up, because I was like, oh my God, and I, I did my best not to be like, this is the worst book ever, you know, blah, 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 because yeah. it was mainly the teacher, and he's actually enjoying the book, because he has a good teacher, and it's, yeah. it's fun for him, but it's, it's depressing to think that, like, something you're clearly gifted in and clearly enjoy was not encouraged from the beginning, you know when somebody whose job it is to encourage you exactly <laughs> has that opportunity you
1: know it's it's very often when you hear when I you know listen to artists talk about the beginnings of their interest and desire to be an artist, they often cite a teacher who instilled that love of it and it it was not until much later in my life that. I had teachers that were like that. I mean, I had the love of it, but I didn't come to those teachers until later.
0: Good. I want to. I want to talk about them. That's uh, okay. that's cool. Uh, so, where did you want to go? Were you trying to get away? I mean, obviously, you went to high school and studying, going to college. Mm-hmm. Did you have a dream school? Did you?
1: I didn't exactly. I just wanted to go far. I I went to Vanderbilt my freshman year. Okay. And i i know they have an amazing art program now but they did not back then and i wanted to major in art history and minor in something else but i would have had to design my own art history major and i wasn't really happy there anyway and i've that first year i just remember thinking well I hated high school, and I don't want to hate college. So I transferred to University of Georgia. Okay. And I applied to the School of Journalism, which makes no sense. But it's hard to get into, so I thought, well, I should apply to a school that's hard to get into, which makes no sense. I'm sure there's
0: some some interesting (laughs) insights there somehow.
1: Yeah. So I, I did that, and you know, I was taking some art history classes, and I just thought, I don't, what am I doing? I hate these journalism classes. I'm sure they're fascinating to people who like this area of of study. And it is a great thing to do and be. And I, you know, I, I love the curiosity of that, but it was not for me. So I just transferred to arts and sciences and just finally did what I wanted to do. So I majored in art history, and it took a long time to actually get into photography classes because at that point you had to have a permission slip from the teacher to apply to the class and you had to know what day the teachers were getting the slips so it was this whole secret rigmarole that you had to go through and I didn't know until my junior year that that's what you had to do and so I didn't get into photo classes until my senior year.
0: That seems crazy.
1: It was crazy, and it's not like that now. I mean, everything's very organized, and you, know, you have to start off in drawing one, and you have to apply to get into the art school now to take anything. And that seems more organized, and it's just more competitive. I don't think I would have gotten in at this point. Um, so that's what I did. And then once I started taking those classes, I was thoroughly happy. and you know, I just was... Always in the dark room, and you know, building. I had to build a um, a pinhole camera. Georgia taught pinhole. Um,
0: what is a pinhole camera? A
1: pinhole camera is so the 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 opening, the aperture of the camera is at f two fifty six or something. It's just teeny tiny little opening, but has almost infinite um, range, infinite. So you know, everything is in focus from. Right up front to way far away. Okay. Um, and we had to build them out of balsa wood, which was awful. And I don't have, you know, I built it wrong, so my F-stop is some crazy. I have it somewhere on my on my shelves over there. Um, but you have to put photo paper in it and then expose that to make a paper negative it was just nuts and then maybe halfway through the class you use a regular camera oh, but it does make you slow down and really understand light and, and exposure and everything and so I, I thought it was actually a quite a lovely way to have a, a an introduction to photography
0: that is very cool
1: but once I got past all that, just the other two classes, it was just, it was my respite. It was, you know, an oasis. It was everything, you know, at the point where I was in the art building all day, I would have art history classes and photography and then stay and work in the dark room was really the best time in college. I was thoroughly happy.
0: When you started taking the art history classes, was it with an eye to learning about your taste and what you enjoyed so that you could then do with photography or were you thinking you would teach then or was it just, this is what I love. I might as well study what I love.
1: I think it depended on the day really. You know, sometimes I thought, well, I'll get a master's in art history and then maybe a doctorate and then I'll study. But then I thought, well, what, I don't want to do that. I want to go to graduate school for photography and then I'll teach photography. So that's what I thought I would do. Um, it did take. There were five years in between undergrad and graduate school, but you know, I just, I just knew that I was where I wanted to be, and whichever road I went on, as long as it led back to that building or some art building in some school, it was, it was the right choice. Was
0: there a moment or a teacher or a class that was like that made you just feel okay? This is where I belong.
1: Not particularly. I would say that that first class, that first photo class was more challenging just in a technical way. The second class I took was taught by this woman named Mary Ruth Moore. And if you talk to anyone who's ever taken a photo class at Georgia, they will tell you how much they love this woman. She's retired, but she is, she is absolutely wonderful. She's brilliant she's wise she's sassy she's witty she's independent she's strong she's she's just an amazing woman and she has such interesting insight into art and the art world and everyone's psyche and she tells stories in an amazing way she's got this amazing southern accent and It's just it's it's kind of enchanting to be in a class with her. Right, she's all in. If you're in a class with her and you are showing work and she's talking about it, she is all in. She knows you. She knows that work. um, Certainly is honest if she thinks you can do better. But it was just uh, a great experience, and I did. Um, end up taking doing some independent studies with her in graduate school because she didn't teach the graduate classes but you know you just want to be around that right you
0: know it's lovely when you find somebody with that like energy and passion who can give you attention yeah like that's so hard to do it is uh, that's amazing so you got out of uh, Georgia undergrad what did uh, what did you do how did you support yourself what were your what was your thought process
1: when I graduated from college, uh, I yet again wanted to get away. So my senior year, I had a roommate who was manic depressive, um, uh, not diagnosed until really towards the end, and um, she's okay now. Like, she's got a family, and she's wonderful, and I'm very happy for her, uh, but that was a very difficult time, so I was, simultaneously I was th- just elated with school, but my my home life was very challenging and actually um, ended up being sometimes scary and dangerous. Um, And so I would spend the night sometimes on my sister's floor in her dorm room um, or with friends because I was worried about myself. Um, So again, I had this situation where I was ready to leave. So I moved out to Wyoming, to Jackson, Wyoming, and I – meant to be there a year and um it turned into two i worked in a camera store okay. and i worked in a photo gallery that was owned by the man whose photos were in it, and they were all landscape and just lovely landscapes so yeah i stuck in the, I mean, in addition to, you know, being a barista and breakfast hostess and five other jobs, I did do that. So I was still in it. And the people who worked at the camera store were nature photographers, and they would go up to Canada and photograph polar bears. And, and I loved their work, but I just thought, well, this isn't really what I want to do. So I didn't do a lot of work out there. It was mostly just about being in nature and fun and Um, enjoying some years out of college before things got serious. So that's what I did. And then I was there two years and then I moved here to Atlanta and I started taking photo classes in order to get ready to go to graduate school.
0: How does one apply for graduate school in photography? Do you have to have a portfolio? Do you?
1: Yes, you do. So, um, Sometimes you have to have a GRE or take the GRE, so I I did that, Um, but often it doesn't matter. So you you send in 20 images and a statement about your work and your intent for your graduate studies, which I, I still find comical because I don't really know anyone whose intent, their statement of intent ended up being what they actually did. In graduate school,
0: that makes sense to me. Um,
1: but that's how you apply. You just send that in and with the base, and then you go and um, often you go interview or you visit the schools. Uh, there are a few I applied to that I got in, but I didn't
0: visit. Um, Did you? Why didn't you visit? And you just knew you weren't interested in those, like living there necessarily.
1: I think so. Ultimately, I thought, well, I applied to this school because one of my mentors went there and I don't really want to be there. So I'm not going to go. I
0: gotcha. Um, do you remember anything about your artist statement? Oh, Aren't those just dreaded.
1: You know, those are such hard things to do. Um, artist statements. And I, you know, I, I work really hard at being a good writer and not saying things that are, Lofty, or that don't make any sense or seem uh, pseudo-intellectual.
0: Application-speak.
1: Absolutely. Or just artist statements in general. You know, I I continually have to write those, and I try to just keep it concise and to the point and have it pack a punch and then just get to the work. Um, Something to do with, I don't know, it was more of a feminist idea of... Photographing women and intimate spaces, and I don't really know how I reconciled those two to any kind of idea. And I started working on that, and it, I found out pretty quickly that it was not very successful. It didn't, I couldn't really go very far because there have been so many pioneers who've done that before me, and honestly, I didn't have anything new to say. Right. About that specifically, you know, there's Cindy Sherman and Laurie Simmons, and I did not have a new take on that, so I started photographing um, my roommates because they are in law school, and we were all basically the same age and taking somewhat different paths than our moms. Um, and the work that, I mean, part of it was our space our living space but it had so much more to do with our psychology so that's what where the work for me started to hit but what i applied with was definitely short-lived
0: i want to go uh just back a little bit so you're taking classes in atlanta what are you learning in these classes it's like you know the mechanics already
1: i did know the mechanics but this was this was actually um it was actually a school like an advertising school so I took a lot of technical classes, lighting, uh, four by five, it's a large format camera, which is what I still shoot with. Okay. So I love it so much. And, um, so it was very technical. And it was great because in, in college settings, there are lighting classes, but it doesn't go as deep as this because this is, you know, lighting a pro, you know, uh, a product or lighting you know portraiture in the studio for modeling you know it's all this kind of stuff that it's really helpful because I can go back to that there's a lot of it I've forgotten to be honest but I can go back to all of that knowledge and it is really helpful to think well if I need this is the kind of lighting I want but it's not exactly working so how can I fix it Uh, I I have the skills to do that pretty easily
0: that's pretty cool so you picked to Georgia to go to for grad school. What is uh, grad school like in photography? How long is it? Uh, what are you learning there? What kind of program are, is it?
1: It's typically, I mean, it's supposed to be a two-year program, but I don't know anybody who's done it in two years. It's Three years is much better. I think you have um, a longer time to sort of figure out what's going on. The first year of graduate school, so many people – just sort of feel lost. What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. That was certainly me. I had no idea. You know, I don't like the idea I came in here with. I'm trying to do it. It's not working. So where do I go from here? There's a whole lot of flailing. So...
0: Is that by design or is that...
1: No, I, you know, I just think that happens. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it happens to a lot. So, you know, I, I think three years is definitely a good idea. Some programs insist on two, which that's fine too. But, you know, I also got to explore other things, um, bookmaking, and I married that a lot with photography um, and printmaking. And, you know, I explored some other things and that was good because I added that third year, I could do a few more things.
0: Do they give you a stipend or are you working part-time as well?
1: So I taught a class.
0: Oh, did you like that?
1: I did. So it was not the first year. Um, the first year I was doing lab stuff and working. But the second year so, my tuition was paid and I got a stipend every month to teach a class and do a couple of other things. And I wasn't teaching with another professor. It was just me. So it was you know, trial by fire. It was just here you are. And here are your students, and you know, I look the same age, if not younger, than them. And
0: is this an intro? What is like? What it was is it a, a photography photo or in the arts class? Or?
1: Photo two class, photo two. So they had already, you know, figured out how to use their cameras and how to print, and this was getting a little more into okay, now you have these technical skills. Let's get more conceptual. Let's let's figure out what it is you're interested in. You know, you've had all these different kinds of assignments, and now you can take the assignments I'm giving you and gear them all. See if you can gear them all towards what you're interested in. And the critiques were good. And I had some really amazing students who I – some of them I still keep in touch with, some I hear from every now and then. Um, it was a really good experience. It was challenging to um, – be the person to lead a critique and you know, that's always tough when a student just bombs something or just puts some work up that you know they haven't put any effort into, you know, to still be constructive and encouraging.
0: So how did you handle that? How do you, how do you do that?
1: Well, you, you pick out what's working and then you ask a lot of questions. You know, what do you think would improve this work? What do you, Think um, isn't working here. What would you like to change? You know, think of ways to get their mind working um, just so they don't lose their enthusiasm or their drive. Just get them to dig a little deeper and to work a little harder. So, you know, it's even when you're an undergrad, I mean, you're still a kid and it's very hard to focus. You know, there's so much more that you can be doing besides doing your schoolwork. Oh God, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're always serious students. And then there are always some that want to do photography, and but they aren't really putting in the work. So, I, you know, I think by the end, I would get everybody more um, energetic about it and more serious. I hope I did, I don't know. But I, I enjoyed it. So I had I taught, and I taught for two years of grad school, which was really nice.
0: I bet. Was it during this period that you kind of started to formulate more of what you wanted to do with your vision? And can you talk a little bit about that process and experience?
1: It is. So... The work that I was doing with my roommates was very... I was very controlling with it and very heavy-handed. And there were some... It was a a mixture of some portraits of them, but also our living spaces. And I would change... um, I would have one setting, and there would be... Everything would be the same except one thing in the image changed. So there'd be a series of three or four images where one thing changed... And it had to do with our psychology and how we're living in um, our life experiences and what that says about us. So at the end, I was just photographing the interior with the objects, and I thought, well, I don't really even need them. I mean, for that project I did, but I thought, well, I don't really need people in this to get my point across. So once I finished that project um i thought well okay what am i going to do now that's there's a thing called a 30-hour review and uh, every grad school i'm sure has this in school where you at your almost halfway mark you need to have a completed body of work and be able to talk about it and you have um, a thesis committee and you choose your thesis committee and they sit with you and discuss your work and determine whether you um can go forward in the program.
0: Oh really? Yes. Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. So that was, nerve wracking at all. No, not at all. So that was, um, that work I did for that 30 hour review. So once I was finished with that, I went back to,
0: what, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I want to go back to, so what did they say about your work and how did you take that? And were you just relieved to be able to keep going or were you?
1: I, I wasn't really worried okay. Okay. that I was going to fail it or they were going to say goodbye. Um, I just... I was nervous that I didn't know what kind of questions they were going to ask me, but they ask all very good and fair questions. Um, and I feel like it, it went really well. I was surprised. Um, and it was so long ago. And it was the same committee that I had for my actual thesis uh, defense. So, yeah, I I don't remember. I just remember sitting in this – it was in a gallery because I had a show um, of the work. And I just remember it lasting about an hour and a half. And that was – and then they said, okay, you can, you know, you can keep going. So, you know, getting it ready was – it was a lot of work. Um, it was black and white, so I was printing it all in the darkroom, and they were large. So, um, I mean, I'm really I love black and white printing, and I'm really good at it. But um, you know, to have to it, it takes a long time okay. to get something right. And I think I had about 15 images, large prints. Um, it wasn't a bad process for me, actually. I. I didn't really mind it. I liked hearing other insights that they might have into the work that I hadn't thought about, which is That's always
0: good. Interesting to me sometimes, and as a, as a writer, you know, you'll people will see something in your play that you know you either you know consciously definitely did not intend, maybe subconsciously you know somewhere you did, but it's always it's interesting to see what people will read into your work, whether you know you intended that or not.
1: Yeah, and I think that that provides a level of knowledge that you're a, su- a success, you know, that you leave something open for your viewer or your listener or your audience to gather that it comes from themselves, you know, that means that you left it open enough.
0: Right, which is part of the communication, right? And it's part of why, you know, you do what you do. Uh, okay, so you're, you get to go back to school, you get to do it, this marks kind of a different phase now yes. of, of your work. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, when that happens, you think, "Okay, well, I, I feel I was finished with what I had done. I didn't have any more to say about that." So I thought, well, what, am, "What am I going to do now?" So I went back to um, what I always go back to, which is photographing um, abandoned houses, and I love doing that. It's what I have always loved. I. The work I applied to graduate school with was all of this one abandoned house.
0: What is appealing about that?
1: I think that it's just being the mystery of the space. Just thinking there's layers of lives in this space and you have no way, unless you have access to the knowledge of people who live there, but usually you don't. You just come upon a place like this. You have no way of knowing what happened, but it lets your imagination go. And so there is a psychology to these spaces and a mystery and that feeling really comes from you it doesn't really come from the space exactly it's just what you're bringing to it so um, I've always even when I was a kid I was enamored with empty houses and mysterious houses so I went back to doing that and I was doing this series called empty and I sort of went beyond houses to other places that looked empty you know that's sort of boring really so I thought well what if I start adding things to these spaces and what if they aren't necessarily abandoned houses so I had to my roommates graduated from law school and I had another year of school so we were moving out of the house we lived in and I had to paint my room of course because I painted it some crazy color and I thought well I'm just going to draw all over the walls and um, put things on the walls before I paint it so I thought oh well what if I just start doing stuff like this and what if I do it on a scale in which it, it encompasses the whole space so it's over the top so that's when I did my first piece, which is called Indecisiveness, which I, in which I covered an entire little room with paint swatches. I would just go to Home Depot and Lowe's every day and get like 10, 20 paint swatches. <laughs>
0: yeah. well, you kind they of be sneaky about it or not? <laughs> well,
1: you know, at first I was sort of, but honestly, they do not care. Right. You know, that's what they're for. People ask me, well, did you steal all this? Like, do you? They are free. Right. And... This is not all one color, so they're all different colors. So um
0: we just want you to have a little more danger in it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I did spend you know, I went to Lowe's Home Depot, every paint store in Athens and would just gather paint chips. And then I covered the all of the walls from floor to ceiling for three walls with the paint chips. And I thought, okay, well I've really hit on something. Now this is all coming together and it's making sense. I mean, there's this space and I have created a specific idea here and this is a specific feeling, but it's a small space. So it also feels claustrophobic. So I have this idea of what I want it to be, but then it's open for the viewer to see other things in it as well.
0: So what kind of feedback did you start getting?
1: I mean, it, it's been interesting because So often at um, openings or events at galleries, you know, artists will be asked about technical issues. What kind of paint is this? What kind of camera are you using? Um, Or just different questions about, you know, what's the meaning of this? Um, All very fair and typical questions, but there was something else going on with this work. People were opening up a little. People would come and tell me that they felt, that's me, you know, pointing to a specific work. That's how I feel all the time. Or my sister's like that. Or do you have all of these feelings? It It was a more personal conversation. I'm very much an introvert, so I have a hard time with small talk, first of all, and have a hard time sort of getting into... Um, conversations, especially at an opening if it's my work. But it just made things easier. People would come to me and they were already open to discussing things. And I don't need to know, you know, I'm not a nosy person. I don't want to know what's wrong with everybody or what they think is wrong with them. But this feeling that, oh, I'm not the only person in the world who has a phobia of social interaction um it it's a nice feeling you know it it opens up i don't know society in a way because i always think oh well everybody seems so together and i'm a mess so how am i going to approach having conversations with people but truly in one way or another everybody's a mess completely And, and it's really helpful. And yeah. that's,
0: honestly, that's one of the things I love about what you do. Because, like, um, I've seen your work in galleries, and I've seen, you know, I have your book. And, you know, I'll flip to something, and like, okay, that, that doesn't resonate. That mm-hmm. doesn't resonate. Oh, my fucking God, that's me. You know, and you hit one, and I can completely understand that mm-hmm. you're giving people an opportunity to connect with something that they wouldn't bring up or wouldn't talk mm-hmm. about. And I'm, I'm sure you have people coming up to you saying, like, you've nailed me.
1: Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I I think it's a good... It's democratic in a way. It's a good leveler. You know, we all have different political stances, different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, but we all have a psyche. And we all have things that we wrestle with on a daily basis. So you can be a completely different kind of person from me and we can find some sort of common ground in our in our common humanity you know there are different reasons why people can um pay attention to their phobias and their neuroses um and it just depends on their life structure it depends on what's you know how they live their, lead their days, um, whether they don't have time or energy to pay attention to any of their psychological um, f- issues, because of everything else going on in their lives, um, or if that's or if there's nothing else going on in their on their lives and they, that's all they pay attention to. Um, but there's a conversation out there to be had with anyone and everyone.
0: So you've, you have you hit this new thing. This is a new style of work for you. You're still in school. Did you immediately start thinking, "Oh, this is this. I'm onto something." So what else can I do? What other what are the ways can I kind of use the same kind of format of uh, of a space and adding to it and going a little bit like kind of over the top, right? That's part mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But it you is. kind of have to do that to really get it. to to get it back to normal Um, Mm -hmm. what was your next what was the next kind of uh, uh, piece that you did in the same vein
1: see i did about five or six pieces that final year of graduate school and that's i mean they all take a long time because i have to figure out the materials i have to gather or make them figure out the space then figure out the lighting. If it's if it's a natural light shot, I have to watch the space for several days. Um, if someone is lending me a space, I have to get in. You know, I have to get everything where my eyes get in and out. Um, and so, when I finished graduate school, I probably did one more, um, and then I was working um, for an art consulting firm, and I didn't really have anywhere to do the work. And I think actually working nine to five was sort of killing my energy.
0: Let me go back to one little second with the, with the grad school. Mm -hmm. Did the people you were working with your professors, did they recognize that this was also something that like, obviously you found something. Was it did, did they recognize it also?
1: They did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, these, the photographs are four by five feet, which I could not print in our lab. So I had to, bringing my negatives down to Atlanta to have them printed. And my major professor at the opening of the whole... Our, the grads who were finishing that year, he came up to me said, you know, I kept thinking, should I see these before they get put up Because he never saw them big before they got on the wall. And then he said, you know, but then I thought, she's fine. Um, I think he figured that I knew what I was doing and that I was, yeah, that I was onto something Um, because I had a great energy for it. I was so excited and um, I was working on it constantly, even though there were only five and that it was still a significant, I I had a lot of other projects going on in school too, but um, yeah, I mean, there was just a significant difference in me, I think, you know, I was plugging along for those first two years working really hard and I was making progress, but this was, um, this was the big light bulb for sure.
0: Amazing. So you're getting out of grad school. You're obviously not going to make a living immediately on your art. Um, where did you go to live and tell me about the job and,
1: so I moved back here to Atlanta um, because I had a job at an art consulting firm, and I. What I is started, an art consulting firm? So an art consulting firm is um, it's a business that works with designers mainly to provide artwork for uh, hotels and corporate spaces, um, hospitals, anything that's mainly public, where that a designer would design but then they sort of farm out the artwork to um to art consultants because art consultants know art and interior designers know interior design so um, typically a really good interior designer um, doesn't have time to worry about the artwork so they hire someone who is an expert at that so i had worked at a firm uh, before graduate school And one of the women who worked there had gone to another firm and they needed help. So I was, in addition to doing, finishing my third year of graduate school, I was coming down here one day a week from Athens to Atlanta to work. And that was helpful because all of this, all of these prints that I was making for my thesis show were quite pricey. So it was very helpful. Um, And then they said, well, why don't you just work here? Full time. We'd love for you to stay on full time after graduate school, and and that was nice because finding a teaching position is really tough, and you have to teach adjunct or just be a visiting visiting um, artist.
0: So no benefits for a while. Mm. no,
1: No benefits, and you just sort of go. You move often, and there was a part of me that thought that I wanted to do that. And then part of me thought I didn't. So I thought, well, I'll just stay in Atlanta for a while. And if I want to start teaching, then I will do that. Um, eventually, I ended up teaching some at Georgia State and at, back at Georgia. But um, I was doing that. So I worked from 9 to 5, and I did that. And I moved from that firm to another one. Um, and it was not, you know, that's draining. Honestly, it's really hard to have a nine-to-five and then come home and have energy for artwork. Um, But that third and final year of art consulting was when I got a solo show in Atlanta. And then... um, I actually got fired from that job, which <laughs>
0: <Outstanding>. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it,
1: it wasn't really anything I was doing. It was that it was the economy. Um, but I don't know. I've never you were, been fired. You were for let anything. go.
0: I've been fired as well. So uh, I'm glad to have somebody else in that yeah. club with me.
1: I mean, it was, it was kind of good. Um, but then, you know, I, I did some other jobs just for money because I mean, the, it doesn't flow in when you're an artist. No, no, so it's, by, you by know, no it's, means. N- it's very important to have something stable.
0: So, so how did you get this show?
1: So, How does this happen? My friend who um, I worked with in art consulting was good friends with Nancy Solomon, who owned Solomon Projects. And she um, showed Nancy my work, and Nancy... Um, liked it and she said well why don't we put two pieces in like in the back at this other opening and see what happens and there was a really good response and so she said well that's great let's why don't you have a solo show
0: so she got some positive feedback clearly
1: yes she did and so she gave me a solo show which was really it was taking a chance because that kind of work didn't really sell, and she wasn't really sure, you know, is it going to sell or not, I don't know.
0: How old are you at this point? I was
1: 31. 31. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd been out of graduate school for about a year. And I'd had, you know, work in lots of group shows and done little things here and there, but this was the first thing that was real.
0: What's the career trajectory for a, an artist coming out of grad school? Like, what are you my presumption would be that you are aiming to get this solo show because that's to kind of get your name out there and get some money. And, mm-hmm. but like, how do people end up, how do people make that happen?
1: So much of it is luck. I mean, there are so many people out there who are incredibly talented, who have never had a solo show or never shown anywhere. And it, it, it really is luck being in the right place at the right time. My Um, my friend who I worked with was friends with Nancy and you know, that was really helpful. And I think there have been many moments in my career when I've been at the right place at the right time and it's just luck. I mean, you have to have good work. You can be at the right place at the right time and if your work isn't good, it doesn't matter. Um, but you have to work really hard and so I've been fortunate a couple of times, um, Yeah, I think ideally you get out of graduate school, and I mean, I think this was what a lot of people think. You get out of graduate school, you move to New York, you find a gallery, you're in some shows, you get a solo show, and then um, you get more solo shows, and then you work yourself up to, you know, you're in the Whitney Biennial, and then all these things happen. I mean, it's a very winding road. It's not straight, and. People get to it in all different kinds of ways. I mean, you know, somebody could have their first solo show at 67 and be an absolute hit. It's just, that's one nice thing about the arts is, you know, you don't, it's not the person who's up there, it's their work. I mean, it is partly the person, but, you know, age doesn't matter. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, when you start your career, age and and gender, of of course, do play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> part. Yeah. And just like any other um, every other line of work, um, <laughs> it does play a part. But, you know, it's a winding road for everybody.
0: Right. Uh, how does the uh, economics work with the gallery? Well, you have a solo show They are. Did you create new work for the show? Was this already stuff you had that you'd been continuing to work on, you know, from grad school and from after that?
1: It was 50-50. 50-50. Because none of that work had been shown in Atlanta. I wanted some of them to be shown and then i made some new ones typically i I have about seven new pieces in a show because they are large and they need some space around them um so i think i had made three or four new ones and had three or four did you have a
0: do you did you have a goal financially of how much you wanted to And I want to, you know, focus on the money, but part of what interests me is how artists are able to balance their lives with day jobs and Mm -hmm. careers and, you know, are you a goal-driven person? Did you say, okay, well, I've got these, you know, seven pieces, you know, I want five of them to sell, then I can do this and this and this, or, or do you think like that at all?
1: I think it's really hard to think like that because art is so subjective and, um... It's a luxury item, to be honest. You know, it's it's for discretionary income. You know, and so you don't ever know. I mean, which way the economy's swinging? How you know? And and it's also about taste. If everybody hates it, um, you just never know. So I think the best an artist can hope for is that some pieces sell in a show. Um, but you get exposure. It's you know. Adds to your resume. People see your work. Um, maybe a curator from somewhere else comes and sees it and wants to do a show. You know, the money is. I think just to be an artist up front, you just cannot think, "Oh, well, I am going to get make a lot of money being an artist." You so know? true. So true. If I if I sell something in this show, that'll be great.
0: Right. You have to love what you are doing, regardless of how it's received. Exactly. Otherwise, you're, you need to pick a different profession or exactly. a hobby or whatever you want to call it. I mean,
1: it. I have a career, but I don't have a steady paycheck at all. Right. And, and I have to be okay with that. Otherwise, I, I just can't do this.
0: So, it's your first solo show. It's opening night. Uh, they've invited their mailing list and people, I'm sure, are collectors, or you've invited some of your friends, I would presume, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, what is that like for you? What does that feel like?
1: So nerve-wracking. Um, because I don't like to be, um, have a lot of attention on me. I don't like attention, and so yeah, I don't. I didn't have a name tag that said artist or anything. So that was nice, but it, it's it's nerve wracking because people ask questions, and I mean, it's while I did say all of that, where it's easier to talk to people, they'll come up with me to me and and open up. That's very nice, but it. It's double-edged sword because if it's a lot of that in one night, it's it's pretty heavy, um, and and very tiring. I, I would much be much happier just being in the back, um, just watching what else is what's going on. But people are really nice and warm, and if they like your work, they want to tell you, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, it, it's 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 good and it's bad.
0: So, it's how long social. did the show last?
1: Shows are usually up about six weeks. Six weeks to two months. But typically six weeks, yeah.
0: And was this, did you deem it a success? And did uh, the gallery owner deem it a success?
1: I think so. I mean, they sold some pieces, um, which was nice. And I had a good turnout for the opening, um, a pretty good turnout for the artist talk. And um, yeah, I think it was. You know, definitely... Made me want to keep working.
0: Yeah, I'm you know? not even sure what success means in this, you know, and then in, in, in the arena, you know, for exactly.
1: this. Yeah, it just depends on, you know, it depends on the weather that night. I mean, I would say the majority of the openings I've ever had, it's either rained or snowed or <laughs> some something. There's been some sort of crazy act of weather. Um, you know, people still make it out. And... And that's nice. I mean, even if one person shows up because they want to see what you made, it's nice. Right. Um, so yeah, I you know, it's it's a nice feeling to have people come and, and look at the work and have someone write about it and you know, offer their opinion and you know. It just you just it just keeps it going. Right. You know.
0: Uh, If it's okay with you, I'd like to talk a little bit about your process. Okay. Uh, I know that can be sensitive, so if... Oh, no, it's fine. um, Okay, so you have an idea, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and ideas I know can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your next step? How do you tell an idea that has legs from an idea that doesn't?
1: So it's a very organic process. When I first started all of this, when I was in graduate school, I was very... Rigid in my process, I would have a concept, and then I would choose materials, and then I would choose a space. So it had to go in that order.
0: Okay. So why had, why that order? Or did you?
1: Because it worked the first time. Okay. Um, I thought, well, this is a good formula. So I just had that formula, and it worked. It worked the first time, and it worked the following five times. So. I just had lists of phobias and neuroses and I would look at them and just try to come up with, you know, materials that might, um, be useful or that might illustrate it.
0: Now, were these, and, the, this, are these all personal to you? The, uh, the neuroses or the compulsions or the ones that you see out in the world and your friends or just you know, just these are, this is what we're dealing with as human beings. You yeah, know, it's what, like What, that. S- it's what sparks general. something interesting in me from that?
1: I mean, I start, I started really by doing research online. And, you know, I have, I think the the Bible of psychology, which is the DSM. So I have that over there. Um, and I would just go through it. You know, it lists, um, it lists a condition and then it lists all of these symptoms or behaviors that you have to have three out of five to be considered this or that. And so I could either take the main issue or one of the conditions. Um, And I just made lists, and I still have lists, and I have journals. If you look on the bottom of my shelf over there, you see all those journals. And I have two here, and I have tons of lists in all of them, and I whittle them down. For different reasons at different times and carry them over um so that's what i in, in the beginning you know i had all of the issues because i'd never done them before so i pulled out the ones that i thought would work and that i could find materials and all the materials are sort of everyday materials recognizable because our issues are everyday issues so then i would choose a space and then um after a while of doing that, I found some materials that I thought were really great. And I thought, oh, I can't like bend a concept to a material. Then I thought, well, why can't I? You know, this could evoke something. I don't have to choose it, you know, have the idea first. Oh, that's or, cool. What about this space? You know, this space has potential. So, I just decide to throw away that rigidity and um, be a lot more organic with it and be open to everything. If I am feeling well, not very inspired, I can go to you know, Party City or the dollar store and just walk through the aisles and see if something sparks an idea. And it's helpful to have that instead of just sitting and researching and trying to look again and again at these lists and think, that that's always going to be my source. Right. I have to let, I have to be open to everything. And that changed things. Um, so my process got a little easier. I and
0: think. it sounds very freeing too.
1: It was very freeing. You know, I, I had the chance to do, you know, I'd see a cool space and think, well, maybe someday that'll fit a concept. And then I thought, well, why don't I see what kind of concept will fit that? You know, what if that comes first? So it was very freeing.
0: So you're training your eye. Your eyes looking at a different thing is is the artistic eye. Is that the most important thing for an artist?
1: I would think generally, yes, it is. You know, you have to be open, and that means open to inspiration anywhere. If it's a terrible commercial on television, or it is um, the soup that you're stirring at dinner, or the, you know, the way that the um, hotel room you're staying in is arranged, whatever it is, or, you know, something that you see walking, you know, something you see on the ground when you're walking. You have to be open to everything. And I, th- I think most artists are, you know, whether you work in, whether your work um, is metal or if it's photography or, you um, weaving whatever it is you can find inspiration anywhere but you have to be have that turned on all the time
0: is there how do you how do you how can someone work to increase their openness or how do you how do you stay open in this world that is very you know closed in a lot of ways and you have to be closed for your protection so are there things specific things you do to help keep you open and to help keep you available for these insights? or I
1: think I just... It's mindfulness, you know, not to be new agey or anything. Do you anything, meditate? But it, I, I, I try. It's very difficult. Um,
0: I'm a, a tryer also. I,
1: I, I do try. Um, but I... When I walk the dog... Um, when we're walking it's a really good time just I don't listen to music because I just try to stay open to my ideas and I think it's just reminding yourself to be aware you know, just look at your surroundings you know if I'm at the beach the beach has nothing to do currently with any work that I'm doing but I find something there I mean I'm I'm supposed to relax too but um, I find something there to be inspired by. I just think, okay, well, I'm relaxed and I don't have anything I have to be doing. I'm on vacation, but I still have my eyes open. And the other thing I do is um, is a sketchbook, which I don't really draw, but um, on the wall here, you can see that I have tons and tons of small photographs. And that's my sketchbook. I'm mm. constantly shooting. And that is... A way for me to stay aware.
0: Is this just on your iPhone? Did you carry it's it It's on or? my
1: iPhone, and I have a Polaroid, and um, some of them are thirty-five millimeter. But um, yeah, I would say as resistant as I was to digital, because I'm an old fogey when it comes to still <laughs> shooting film. Um, that has really reminded me how much I actually love photography for the sake of photography because what I do these installations that I create there's so much work involved that clicking the camera is a really small part of it right so this reminds me how much I love photography and how important it is to see everywhere and it's something that I I'm constantly producing something when I'm doing one of these installations it can be days weeks a month before I actually have something that I've created. And the progress is random. You know, it's a pile of things that I'm making to get ready or collecting or adding. And sometimes that doesn't feel like I'm accomplishing anything until it's finally done. Okay. So the sketchbook is a way to feel like I'm accomplishing this, a way to feel more productive. I'm accomplishing things, and I'm seeing all the time. So it's a way to stay aware. And I, you know, I would recommend that to anyone, to writers, to sculptors. You know, I, I follow a lot of artists on Instagram. And I'll, I mean, a lot of them are not photographers, but the way that they shoot or the things that they take pictures of absolutely relates to their work. So I see that other people are, are using that as a way to be mindful also
0: that's that's amazing i want to come back to social media and instagram specifically with photography if you're working on i'm gonna gonna call it a project Mm -hmm. and I, i think when i say project with your work i mean i guess a photograph in this case will you be working on multiple projects at the same time or if you've got the idea and the materials Are you, how how does it work? Are you balancing different projects at once or are focused on getting, or is it even not even organized like that? Is it, you know, if you have a show coming up in six months, are you thinking about it like that? How do you think about your day to day kind of work?
1: I like to have more than one thing going on because it's nice to put one thing down And do something else. So I'm still productive, but I'm bringing a different energy. And when I get worn down on one thing, I can go back to the other fresh. And maybe they, if they don't relate to one another or have a conversation with each other, um, I can bring something fresh from one to the other. Um, Even if it's just as simple as fresh energy. So, and often the things that I'm working on at the same time are very different. I can be working on an actual installation that isn't a photograph, but it's, it's a space that a viewer would walk in and a photograph. Or I'm working on a photograph and heavy into the sketchbook to think about new work. Or um, recently, I'll be working on photos and an installation but I'll also have um, a collaborative project that I'm doing with a, an artist friend of mine So the, and that's a totally different way of working and use of materials um, but it's a nice balance I can get tired of one thing and go to something else and still feel like uh, I'm using all of my art, artistic energy that I can in a day and then I'm not I'm not getting dried up early in the day
0: And that's important, right? It's important to feel like you're using what you have, what you're, you know, meant to be doing.
1: Yes. I mean, I have a certain number of hours in a day when I can work because I have kids, I have a family. So, you know, once they're home from school, my energy goes to them. So I need to be productive in the time that I have to myself.
0: So let's talk about that for a second. Give me, can you give me, and I call it an ideal day. Okay. Like a, a healthy, you know, Sarah Hobbs artist day and through the whole day. So, okay. like what time do you wake up in the morning? Are you getting the kids off? Does your husband do that? Does like how does give me the the nitty gritty?
1: Six thirty is when the alarm goes off. Um, I'm Not a morning person, <laughs> um, and neither are my kids. Um, so I get them ready for school. My husband takes them to school, and then I need a little bit of downtime. So my dog and I just sort of snuggle up together and I I catch up on the news. Um
0: what are you what kind of news do you you watching TV or you I'm not watching TV. Or? I'm
1: online but I'm looking at you know New York Times, Washington Post, um Wall Street Journal, just whatever is up. I mean, I flip through Facebook but that's not where I get news. I <laughs> try to get it from actual
0: sources. It's crazy talk.
1: Um, And then, you know, I check email. I'm online for, you know, a little while and I have coffee after everyone's gone because I like to enjoy it. I find that is a very important ritual in life. Do you um, make
0: the coffee as well, or
1: yes, I do.
0: And what? How fancy is your coffee? Or, um, or
1: I have a mocha press, so what is it's a mocha just press? that stove top thing, and it's, it makes espresso. Um, so the water just goes up through this, it filters through the coffee, and okay, then it's, there. it's pretty simple. So
0: you're black. I'm pretty. Oh no, it's which...
1: basically a, it, I put a lot of milk in it, so I have a latte, I guess. Okay, but um. So I, I like to enjoy that. So that's, it's a nice, quiet way for me to ease into the day. And then um, I have an assistant, and so she comes once a week. So an ideal day would be a day when she's there. Okay. Um, so I sort of get ready and figure out what our plan is for the day. And then when she gets there, we're either here or at my house. If we have to do stuff online, we're at home. If we don't, we're here. Okay. So,
0: and no online here. Is that to avoid distraction when you're here?
1: I well, first of all, I don't want to pay for Wi-Fi in my studio. Understandable. And second of all, yeah, I would be on it. I mean, if I need it, I've got my phone. But I would be on it. You know, I could research this and that. Um, So we discuss what we're doing. We work out. You know logistics and issues, and so say we're in the middle of working on a photograph. And um, for example, I did one um, in the spring, in which I made—I don't know—I never counted, and I should um, jello molds. So we would be at home for a while making jello, and then we put it all in the refrigerator, and then we make bring the finished jello over here. And I had all of these shelves over where my Books and everything are, um, is where I put them. So I had cake stands and plates, and they had all these beautiful, beautiful jello molds. Um, so we would make them and go back and forth. And then, you know, we went to get a rug that went, because this whole thing had to look like something else. And so the astroturf that's on the floor now wasn't there. So we would be going back and forth and doing that and I would be here too with, um, with my 4x5 camera making sure that I had the frame that I wanted. Okay. Because I once I get an installation set, I cannot really move my camera because it looks a certain way from a certain angle and if I move the camera, then you're going to see the closet or something else. So I, that's something that has to be set um, before I start installing really yeah yeah because what i use usually is just a it's a segment of a room so if i move the camera you're gonna see another part of the room that doesn't have anything to do with the installation it kind of takes you out of that whole space right right
0: right. so, so I, you're giving yourself basically your canvas to work
1: exactly to work on and, so i work a lot with the camera in the beginning
0: what time does your assistant come over
1: she comes around 10 10 30 around 10 yeah. Sorry. So, um, yeah. So we're just arranging, and you know, I had a table over here where I'd flip out the, you know, jello, turn them out. I don't know how like the specific term for jello flipping. Right. Um, and we would arrange them, and just have that whole thing going, and then um, we would also sit down and talk about. So we get that done to a certain point. And then I would work on, you know, I would have to go back and do. She would have to leave, and then I'd go back and do another round of Jello. But then we would stop after we finished getting everything ready that day for the installation. We'd stop and say, "Okay, well, let's talk about um, the installation that is being built in the studio, in the gallery space and how we're going to arrange the dusters that are over there." I just had um, an installation in a show that had. I don't know how many hundreds of um chenille dusters lining there's, there's the walls
0: a huge pile of blue and white dusters in the in the corner here that uh I'll make sure to shoot a picture of yes for the blog
1: there were so many so we had to um do some logistics like just figuring out how many had to go in a row and use the blueprint and see how many rows we needed and so we would talk about that for a little while and and our hanging system, how we would do that, and then she would go, and then I'd go home, do some more Jello, and go get the kids.
0: So what? What time is this now?
1: So now it's about two thirty.
0: So, are so you she's skipping usually lunch, here. Or are you eating in the studio or eating at home? Or
1: I th- we would probably just grab something while I, w- you know, I me, mean, I would make us grilled cheese sandwiches or okay. something when we were making Jello. Um, so we would sit down for a few minutes and just talk about, you know further work going forward um and then probably the next day i would be by myself and i would shoot everything say everything we finished up making everything that day and then i would shoot i'm usually by myself um when i'm shooting unless i need somebody to come in and help me move lights or hold you know hold up a scrim or something um
0: is that i like to be alone tell me why
1: Because I talk to myself when I'm shooting. Okay. And um, I just like the solitude. Because it helps me to get in the space better. Um, I really, I've only had two assistants throughout my whole career. And um, it's actually worked out great. But when it comes to actually shooting, I really like to be alone. I don't want to talk to anybody else. I don't need help with it. Um, and I just like to be in my own head.
0: Do you have to do anything or do you do anything, any rituals to get yourself into that mode? So where you can kind of get yourself into that space or is it just something that happens through being there and being by yourself?
1: I sit and look at the installation for a little bit and just see if everything looks right, if anything needs to be moved. So that really gets me into it. So then I move from that into the camera. And then I look in the camera for a while and make sure, you know, usually I do have to move things around. So I'll move things around. Um, And then I start checking the lighting and doing some, uh, when I have some Polaroid 4x5, (laughs) it's very expensive these days. Um, When I have some of that, I'll shoot it. Um, to do a test. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just like it to be me. I like the solitude um, and getting into that image. I try to put myself in the place of the person who is doing whatever they're doing to create what's in front of the camera. Um, and it's hard to do that when anybody else is around.
0: So tell me a little bit about that that person is this and are you supporting a story with with what's going on or is it just is it a click of the moment of like are you picturing their how they interact in other spaces as well and why they left this space how it is or can you just talk a little bit about that
1: I'm really focused on just what's going on in the image and not what their any other part of their lives are, except to um, consider what led up to this activity. So, in terms of, say, the piece with the jello molds, they're really beautiful. Um, I mean, just personally, I don't find that tasty. I'm sure some people do, but <laughs> they're beautiful to look at. And so, what is going on in someone's life where they make one and they think? I'm going to do another one and I'm going to make more and I'm going to go out and buy some more molds and I'm going to go get some more jello and then I'm going to make layers and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that so what what are they ignoring in their life and putting this in their life that is not necessarily productive and in the photograph you can see if you look closely the ones that are closer to the Molds that are closer to the back are actually growing mold, and some of them are slipping off of the uh, the stands or they're flattening out. So, there's that indicates a bit of a frenzy at making these and just adding more, but not paying attention to the fact that, yeah, it's perishable and you know, some of them are getting disgusting. Um, but just making more and making more, so that energy is um, it's, in, it's going in this direction that isn't leading to anything productive, although it seems like it is productive. You know, it's this constant making of things, but to what end? You know, just like collecting isn't really a goal. It's just a practice. It's an energy. Making something like that is not a goal. And it's on these shelves. It's supposed to be in like a spare bedroom. It's not for consumption. It's not you're not putting she this person isn't putting this out to be eaten. It's not a dinner party. It's just making them. So I like to think, well, what's going on in this person's life that this feels much better than dealing with life? And is it the beauty of it, the beauty of these molds, there are they putting this beauty in there to um compensate for something or to negate something but other than that i don't think about what the rest of their house might look like or i mean you can picture maybe what their kitchen looks like because it's probably a disaster because of all of this going on but beyond that i'm not as i just want to focus on what's going on in this in in this moment in this person's life
0: would you say you were looking at this person with and both for like this, you know, particular piece, and just in general, like with an empathetic eye, or you, you I feel like you have to be empathetic to them. But are you also critical of them? Or, Nessa, or
1: definitely or? not critical. Um, I I think that if I didn't have um, empathy in this work, it would be really callous. I really understand when people are going through things. I you know I certainly have my share of issues and I, I find I've actually found a joy in making these things. I don't care for Jello, but making these was really enjoyable. I mean, I actually had a goal, but I tried to put myself in the place of the person who, um, who is creating these spaces, um, to either assuage a sorrow or a guilt or an anger or whatever they're trying to do, I'm trying to really understand where this energy is coming from and um, what it's creating, and I really care about that. I, I, I think that you know mental health is such an important issue in all of our lives. And it's just as important as any other part of our health. And I think it's overlooked and there's a stigma. And I, I really, I hate that because we could all benefit from some sort of therapy or putting something in our lives that would assuage our issues or our problems or the way that we communicate with others. Um, so it's definitely not critical. I, I really try to put myself in the place of the person who is going through whatever they're going through. Right.
0: I really wish we wouldn't stop saying mental health as if there was some separate thing than just our health, mm-hmm. you know, as if the brain was not in the body and exactly, you know, it's in the same place the arm is and everything else. Exactly. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so when you click the photograph do you leave everything up and go print it out and make sure it's okay? Or you would like, how do you, I'd be terrified, I guess. It
1: is, well, it is terrifying, particularly if, I mean, I've made some photos in hotel rooms, so I have to rent a hotel room, bring all the stuff, set it up and shoot it. It used to be easier because I could just take it to a lab here. It would take two hours for them to process the film. And then I could look at the film, but there's not anywhere. You know, it's, labs are, f- are very few and far between now so i have is to this send because it of
0: digital taking over
1: it is so i have to send it to rochester new york oh my gosh um so i have to fedex it up there and get it fedex back if i can leave it up if it's in my house or you know my parents or a very generous friend who doesn't care if i leave it up um i will but you know in the case with the jello I had to get it out of here um so i i I shot it and then I had to throw it away
0: so tell me specifically about the mold on the jello and I love do you think people see that I mean obviously some people see that but i well I always fascinated when you hear like these little details that let's say ninety seven percent of the audience won't receive mm-hmm. but you're doing it for your vision mm-hmm. one and then are you also doing it for that? one or two people who are going to be like, I am. That's, I love that.
1: Yeah. Um, when I, the jello piece, what ended up being the work is completely different from what I had in mind originally. Um, just in terms of where the space and I wanted to do it in like a walk in freezer or refrigerator, but that's impossible to find or to rent or anything and then i thought well shouldn't they be deteriorating in some way some of them wouldn't that add another layer of meaning Mm -hmm. so after all of our searches and we spent probably three days going through air you know looking at airbnbs and renting kitchens and just all kinds of things that could lead to something there used to be doors on these shelves there were cabinets Um, I thought well (laughs) I could just do it in my studio so I had there's a wall around the shelves now that is a fake wall so I had that wall built and I put a rug in here um, to make it look like somebody's spare bedroom um, or any kind of spare room in someone's house and I thought, well, I have a certain number of days that I can have that in here and just right. hope to God I don't have rats or any kind of infestation that I will have to pay to get rid of in the whole building. Um, so I had the air conditioning really low. It was in May. and It was starting to get quite warm. But the air conditioner broke. Shit. <laughs> well it was I pushed it over the edge it was installed in 1990 um, and I think just me kicking it in to gear uh, right. to high gear was just it it was it was its last leg so for three days I had no air conditioning in here so it did contribute to the Deterioration of some of the molds Happy incident. It was. It was very good. So I don't think that as much would have occurred. It's still pretty subtle, but I don't think as much would have occurred had there been some air in here. So um, if you look closely, you will see there's a, a large yellow jello mold that the top looks like a dark green. There's an orange jell that has like little dots of blue it's quite beautiful actually um, outstanding though it's disgusting some some right. of them are sliding off of the stands which i may have nudged a couple of them just to make it look better um it worked out it worked out
0: so let's say you're let's say you've made your shot and it's 30 minutes before you have to go pick up your kids. Uh, how do you make that transition? Well, obviously, you know, obviously you want to stay open to inspiration, mm-hmm. you know, wherever it would hit. Do you, do you do anything to help you kind of get into a different mode as mom mode or
1: it depends on the day. Um, and it depends on what I'm doing right before I get them. Um, I don't really you know I just I listen to the radio I'll listen to NPR while I'm waiting in the carpool line Um, the dog will be with me and I just watch kids get into cars and just listen to the loudness and the energy and know that okay that's that's my part of it is now that part of the day it is now time um, to deal with all of that and it just sort of happens
0: are you working every day
1: I try to or work Monday every day. Friday, yeah, or
0: do you, you hit 10 it's, to it's, two or three? Or.
1: it's um, it just depends on the day. You know, it's not. I wouldn't say flexible, but there are days when I gotta run errands and I don't want to do it with the kids, so I'll do that. But you know, I'm always thinking of stuff. Um, and then there are days I'll be in here for three hours straight working, or I'll be at home um, printing out images that I've called from the web that are inspirational that have to do with a new specific project and I'll print them out and bring them over here. Um, I'm, I don't have one specific thing that I do every day aside from shooting, um, sketchbook images. Um, sometimes I am painting watercolor because I'm not feeling that inspired. So I'm just going to do something creative, to get going. Um, or I'm going to get my Polaroid out and you know, there are only eight shots. So what could I do with this? Um, so I try to do something every day and there are some days that are heavy work days and some days that are lighter. And right now is a bit of an in between time because I've finished two, one show just closed. Another one is about to close on Saturday. Um, this, installation i collaborated on with my friend hannah
0: i saw that and i want to want to talk about that a little bit
1: so we're finishing those two up so i'm regrouping so i've been painting a lot uh, doing a lot of watercolor and that that is nothing to write home about it is just uh, an exercise in making purely for you purely for me um yeah it's just something that i do to to keep the juices flowing, and I write um, in my journal, and I've been um, culling images or picking images out of off the internet um, and putting them up for the next possible thing I want to do, um, and just gathering random materials. This is not random material, but like all these things on the counter here are, are random materials that I might use for something else. Um,
0: do you have a so. favorite part of the process?
1: I think that when there are times when I have to make the materials, that might be my favorite part. There's an image that I made that is called Untitled Voluntary Mental Facility. So it's a bedroom, it seems like a hospital room. Like if you would check yourself into a facility for exhaustion or anxiety or whatever it would be, this is where you would go stay. And I made. 550 God's Eyes. You take two sticks and you wrap yarn around them. It's a craft that so many kids would do in summer camp. And it's actually very soothing. It's a Native American meditative practice.
0: Called God's Eyes? God's
1: Eyes. Mm -hmm. God's Eyes. And you can see one on the bottom shelf there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I actually loved making those. They were very meditative. Um, And it helped me get into the concept of the piece try to think about a person who has this desire for a calmer sense of being to um, level out to find a way to not have so much anxiety or stress or whatever it is um, but then found themselves making these and cannot stop you know they're covering the room covering all of the surfaces, the floor, the window. There are there's a section of all black ones. You know, does that reflect their mood or were they just into using every bit of black yarn? You know, it becomes the fact that they're doing something counterproductive to the reason why they're there. But it's just their nature is to try to find some sort of peace, but this becomes obsessive anyway
0: it's fascinating to me how how similar uh what you're talking about in doing is to like you know character work you know for mm-hmm. a play as an actor um i love that um so we've talked about uh opening night we talked about process um let's talk a little bit about the collaboration that you know, the, the the exhibit exhibit or installation mm-hmm. that is about to about to close mm-hmm. how how is it collaborating with this specific person, but also just in general, how do you approach a collaboration different than your own than your own work?
1: So Hannah and I have been friends for a while, and we both had fellowships um, to do residencies at Serenby, which is this community south of Atlanta, and they have an artist in residence program. And once you, if you get a fellowship, you are welcome to come back and work um, if there's availability. And so I visited Hannah when she was doing her residency. And then um, she said, well, we should collaborate together sometime. And I thought, okay, well, our work is very different, but our process is very similar. So, How would
0: you describe her work briefly?
1: Sh- Hannah makes sculpture and drawing, and it is very conceptual and has a lot to do with um, process and line and memory and, um, and emotion during different times of life. But she, um, she illustrates that through drawings and sculptures. And it, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it minimalist for sure, but there's a purity in the objects that she makes. Okay. So our work is quite different, but it's all of this stuff that you don't see. You know, this me sitting at, on the sofa every night for three months making God's eyes is like this private little performance that no one ever sees, but it's. It's very much part of the work. And so it's like backstage is very similar for Hannah and me. There's a lot of process and a lot of repetition of making things and the way that we get into making work is is somewhat similar. So we were thinking about that and decided to spend a week together at Serenby Meanwhile, I had talked to the woman who owns and runs White Space Gallery here in Atlanta. And her gallery is – she built out the coach house of her house. Um, her house was built in 1890, 1870, something like that. So she had a um, this separate um, coach house in the back, and it's a gorgeous gallery. And then there's a space under the house. I mean, it's street level, but you – access it. And it's sort of adjacent to the basement. And it is now an exhibition space. And it's a, um, it is an experimental space. And she and I had talked for a couple of years about me doing an installation in there. When you first walk in to the space, there is this little trap door. It's very small. It's near the floor. And At an opening one night, I just opened it to see what was in there because I've always been drawn to that space, but I've always, of course, been curious about that door. And there was ash in there. So it is an ash trap, ash depository. Okay. There's a fireplace in the kitchen, coal-burning fireplace, and there's you just open this little trap door in the fireplace, and the ash goes down. So I thought, well, I would like to tie the installation to this space you know in a in a direct way so i told hannah i said well i'm 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 scheduled to do this but why don't we if we're going to collaborate why don't we make something why don't we make an installation that we're going to show we've already got a place to do it so let's do that together so um me having this idea and having the idea of the ash um coming to hannah with that well hannah has all of this knowledge of all these materials that i do not have knowledge of um all these inks and um clay and just using a lot of different materials i don't use because she uses them in her practice because she is um she'd use a sculpture so we went to serenby and we were there for a week we came up here to um gather all the ash out of the trap And we made a fire um, to gather that ash. And so we felt a little like Pioneer Women. It was January. It was really cold. We had this fire that we were making. We were in the studio um, making tests, using all these different kinds of materials and figuring out what we wanted to do and what would work and what wouldn't. And then every 30 minutes, one of us would go check the fire. Um, It was so great. And so we came up with, with... some ideas and and it started there and i mean it was actually a really great process the whole way through we get along really well and we we're both really open to the other person's idea i mean that when you collaborate you have to be open you can't just say this is what i want it to be and be rigid because that's not a collaboration and this is actually the first time i've collaborated with anyone um And so it's been. It was really nice. So,
0: can you think of a um, a specific time where idea A ran against idea B, and you merged them with C? Or um,
1: I think just in the beginning, with well, I have this space and have this ash. Okay. And Hannah said, "Well, I have have all these materials, and she she teaches at um, Columbus State, so she also has the facilities too." To use so, um, so that's really strong stuff right there. To I understand, bring. yeah, and yeah. and all of this idea of um, <coughs> we're both interested in um, the collecting of nature, and so that idea, and and I would say Hannah sort of started that idea too, um, and then I started researching um, T.S. Eliot. Um, there's a book of poetry the four quartets and there's a lot in there about fire and ash and what it means and then hannah was reading the wasteland and there's um a line in there i will show you fear and a handful of dust and so um we started thinking about all of these uses for ash all of the um the metaphorical um imagery of ash the just anything you know the use of ash in um in literature and art and just all through the ages and marrying it with what we were doing. So Hannah proposed the idea of using um, ceramics and using clay, making objects and then making an ash glaze and firing firing that. And so um, it ended up being that we made these objects and they're, not exactly identifiable they're somewhat abstract they somewhat some of them kind of look like tools but they're not really tools some of them are shapes and um and then we ended up hannah mixed that with ink she did a lot of research on the ceramics and and how you would use ash and she came up with this ash ink and um so we ended up just dipping everything and then when we were in the space i said you know it has a It has a really beautiful brick floor. But I said, I don't know if I like this brick floor. And she said, well, why don't we just cover it with rock? Great. Well, we're going to make the rocks. So we ended up not covering the whole space, but the sort of the entry room. So we made all of the rocks. They're ceramic. And then we fired them, and then we dipped them in the ash ink. So the ceramic pieces, and, and I never done ceramics before so what
0: i mean what is a ceramic
1: so it's clay you know basically dirt and you know it's a a, you know same thing as a pot or a ceramic mug or um it's a very traditional ancient um form of art okay and so you know it's this wet clay and you form it
0: you fire it and make and it then hard, you,
1: yeah. So you form it and it dry, and you let it dry, and then it goes into a kiln and it's dried, and then um, you can glaze it and refire it. Um, in our case, we just dipped it in the ash ink. So that's one. That's the connection to the ink there. And then Hannah um, made all of these really beautiful objects. So at one point, we thought we were going to sit. The clay objects on shelves. Um, but then, s- somewhere along the line, we decided that they needed to be hung on the wall. And so, Hannah was, she made all of these pieces with that in mind. And I sort of try to, but I'm very new to clay. And I'm, I've always sort of eyed it out of the corner of my eye because I really have been interested in using it, but I'm still a h- novice. So, I made some things, but where, I mean, the pieces that she made were really gorgeous and, um, they all work together so beautifully. So I had all of these jello molds and so I was, you know, in between making the jello and doing all this other stuff, I was making rocks and, um, I, before we decided to actually use regular jello, we were, I thought, well, let's make resin because that'll look like jello, but it won't go bad. Right. Well, resin is very expensive. And to fill like a regular bunt pan size would cost at least $50 worth of resin. And um,
0: Jell O it is. You know,
1: Jell O it is. So I had all these pans, and it was Hannah's birthday, and I had this little thing. So I thought, you know, I have this resin. Well, I'm going to mix ash and resin together and make her a little teeny bun cake for her birthday. So I made it, and then I made a couple more um, out of the pans, and I said, you know, these are really fun. And I gave it to her, and she said, well, why don't we – we can use this. And she said, you know, you can – lots of different things can be molds. Like anything that comes in, you know, the plastic that's impossible to get off of anything. You have know, a pair of scissors that yeah, comes right. in, it, you rip it off. That is a mold, that plastic. You spray some oil in there, and you put the resin in, and then you cut it out, and there's a mold. Um, so I went with that. Yeah. I went bananas <laughs> yeah. with it. I thought, okay, I can gather all these molds, and I can mix resin and ash, and um, there's opaque resin, and then there's the clear. So I got both and just did... Um, objects that are like you can see some over here there are some that are small that might be like a it would really be a chocolate mold but i've mixed it mixed resin and ash so there are some that i mixed a tiny bit of res of ash in the resin and then some that i mixed a ton so there are a lot of different colors in it um
0: very cool and i'll take pictures of these for the blog
1: and then um the opaque ones are quite lovely too and the you know, it goes from bright white with some flecks to a dark gray. Yeah, and some of the objects are, are you can see what they are, or some are just geometric, or some are very uh, abstract. Um, and so, I had to photograph. I had to give a photograph to the gallery for you know, press purposes, and I didn't have anything, so I got my light box. I have a little light box for looking at negatives, and I put the. Um, resin pieces on them and I photographed them and I thought, oh, that's really lovely and Hannah said, well, let's make a light box for the show and so she built this gorgeous light box that sits on the floor in the in the space and um, the light shines up through the resin and, you know, some of them are super dark and only a little bit of light comes through but it just, it changed them and then just the whole way that we arranged them and, um, has a lot to do with this concept. And basically the concept of this show is, um, about our desire as humans to sort of organize everything in our world to see for them, for things to relate to one another, to make sense of things, be it, uh, natural things in nature or things that we find in other parts of the world. Um, things that might be ritualistic or just symbolic, um, And that goes back to um, the idea of a wunderkammer, which is, you know, like a personal um, museum or gallery or collection. Um, And it has very much to do with collecting, but also making sense of the world around us. And also um, the idea that it's all fleeting, because that has to do with the ash. That brings it back to the ash, um, that everything eventually sort of turns to dust. And we are such a small part of that that, you know, we can only truly know about um, the, you know, the world that's come before and the world we're in now. But it's hard to sort of take – you can't really take in the whole world and know it, but you can know a part of it. So that's that's how that work came about and um, (coughs) – we're gonna keep going, we're gonna do more. It's just been really nice to have this other new part of a practice that I share with someone because so much of what I do is very solitary or what any artist does. But to share this and have new ideas and it's it's so different from what I do but it's I'm still very much in it. And the same for Hannah, it's so different from what she does but it's still her.
0: Oh, I love how like the idea is just gonna kind of compounded. You know, you oh, do yeah. something for fun, like, "Oh, we can use this. this would be part of this, and I love the light mm-hmm. box, and I, I went to see it, and it's extraordinary it 's a very cool experience Thank and, you. and hearing you talk about it makes it even even more um, that's all. Have you talked specifics about what your next project would be with her, or not exactly with, uh, we
1: want to do we want to take this show somewhere else, and it would be tweaked. I mean, we made this installation specifically for that space, but um you know it can be tweaked and changed um and moved around in different ways um but you know i th- i think there are so many other things that we can do i mean you know i have all of these photos of nature that i do take and I, it is something i'm very interested in but it does not make so much sense in the other work i do so it's nice to actually get to um, explore that with somebody else um, In another part of my practice So we're going to be talking We have a panel discussion on Saturday And after that we're going to Talk about what we're going to do next
0: That's very, very cool Do you feel like you have a brand And that you need to stay within that uh, On your solo work Or or do you Is that Is that a restriction? Is that not a restriction? Or is it something you even think about?
1: I don't really think about it um, I, I think that I'm still drawn to these concepts and just the overall ideas in my work. And I'm, I have so much more to explore and so much more to say about it. Um, you know, I, I took a, it's not a detour, but an addition and a leap um, in my practice in about 2011 or 12 when i started making site-specific installations instead of just photographs um i always thought you know people would always ask me well where's your where's the installation you know people would go to the gallery and expect to see the installation and not the photo Mm -hmm. but i can't do these in a gallery space because they are in domestic spaces and specific spaces and the gallery has its own psychology and so i thought well, what if i do it in spaces that are both private and public like hotel rooms or storage facilities so i did that for three years and i wasn't making photographs in in that time um but it and it was a new thing but the ideas were the same
0: what uh what changed with the process given the given those parameters
1: the process is that the whole of the space has to be the installation. In a photo, I have a specific part of a room and that's all that you see. So you can just imagine that the room has that same feeling the rest of the way around. But when you have a site-specific installation, every part of the space has to be a part of the installation. So if you walk into a hotel room, if the bathroom isn't part of the installation and the door's open... It, it it's not successful. Yeah, you know, it's every part of the installation,
0: of whether you it to be or not.
1: Yeah, it, if you're going into a space that is already there, it's got to be a part of it. Right. Um. So it has to be every bit. But then when you when you have site specific, your other senses can come into play. Like the this one installation in one hotel room was um, called Alarmist, a person who, you know, assumes that the worst that can happen is going to happen. So they have brought every sort of survival item that they can possibly bring to the hotel. And there was a weather radio I just had on really low on static. And I had that sound element. It was very subtle, but it added to this level of anxiety in that
0: room. And you get a whole new thing to play with. Yeah, the it's sounds. a whole new
1: thing. And then this... Um, when I did four installations in um, a storage facility, the whole feel of the place was part of it. You know, when you walk down and it was in February and yes, storage facilities are climate control, but that means that there's air conditioning in the summer. It does not mean that there's heat in the winter. Uh. So you walk down this very cold, long walkway and you know, the lights come on as you walk down and, and, the, all of the doors in this one were white, so it was very sterile, and you can't see anything that's in anybody's space, but you know there's stuff back there. But there are four that are open, and and what you see in there is not something. You know, you have ideas of what might be in right. facilities, but then when you're confronted with something that's actually this very strong personal secret thing, it. It's it's jarring.
0: That's fascinating. So how did this come about?
1: Well, I really wanted to do storage facilities because it was a blank slate, really, and um, I like the idea of the fact that you can have a storage facility and nobody can know. You can pay cash for that every month. You can hide the key. You don't have to label the key. You know, you can keep stuff in there. You don't want in your house. It's so secret. It's got to be hidden somewhere else. So, what are the implications of that? What are the possibilities? And they are really endless. Um, you know, people are. It's a whole, not a community, but it's it's a it's a whole feel of being in a storage facility. There is just. Psychology to it in general. I was there, it took a week to install, so I was there, and you know, if somebody else would be in their storage facility. If you walked by and just happened to glance, they're like, you know, even if they had, you know, some boxes and a bike in there, it's very territorial. There was a woman who was there, I think, the entire week, and she was going through all of this stuff in a facility, and it must have been a loved one who had passed away and she was there the whole week. And I really wanted to talk to her and ask her um, what she was doing, how she was feeling, but it was so personal. Whatever she was going through was so personal that I kept my distance. Um, so there's the whole, this whole psychology of just being there. And I really like that. So I just wanted to use that feel that was the main drive of that whole project
0: was so you had this idea and you approached the uh the storage facility and said let's make this happen
1: i called them and i said this is what i'd like to do um i'd like to rent four units for a month and i like them to be near each other and i need to have an opening and there will probably be an, a talk and and can i do this great. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, I love, you know, the woman was wonderful. She said, I like, you know, being a part of the community. You know, we have food trucks on Fridays. And it was just, um, it was great. It's the 14th Street storage facility, and they couldn't have been nicer. And um, they didn't really think it was weird that I asked. It was just, you know, it was nice. So um, they were very open, which was good.
0: I love that. Will you talk a little bit about uh, your work in Carson McCullers' house? Yes. And is she important to you as, a, as an inspiration, or are you a fan of her work, or is, and, and is literature in general something that you find inspiration in?
1: Literature is something I find inspiration in. Um, Carson McCullers is important to me because I grew up in the house next door to her childhood home in Columbus. So I knew the family who lived there. I uh, babysat for them. Um, I knew the family lived there before I was an older couple and I used to, my sister and I used to go to their house and make cookies at Christmas. And um, so I had a history with the house and it's owned by Columbus state now. And they have artists uh, residencies there and it's usually um, writers and musicians, but um, they've added visual arts. So I was approached Would you you like to make an installation in Carson's house? And I thought, well, of course I would. Um, Because I have this very personal connection to the house. And uh, I didn't really come to Carson's work until later, probably after college, did I start reading it, Um, which is ridiculous. It should have been taught in every literature class in Columbus. Um, But it was okay for me to come at that later because I was more mature and um her work will wreck you, you know, it's it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful and um, it says a lot about the town and the you know, Columbus is a nice place to live, but it, it's a complicated town too. Um just like any, you know, southern town would be. And there are things about it that she did not like and I identify with most of them. Um also, it's just in terms of feeling like she didn't exactly fit in. Um, so, you know, I read her work with all of that in mind, coming to it as a, a more mature person. If I had read it, and I think I read one story in high school, and, and I liked it, but, you know, I, I wasn't really mature enough to think about the aspects of that in my life, and then... Um, you know, so much about her, just she liked being home, but felt more at home somewhere else in the world, and longed to be other places, and there's a lot of that in her work, just the desire to be free of this hometown, and what, what you mean in that town, I uh, so, am. Yeah, um,
0: I'm familiar with The Heart is the Lonely, a Lonely Hunter, mm-hmm. but I never read it. Uh, but if someone was going to approach, uh, come to her work, is there something you'd recommend they start with?
1: I would say start with The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Okay. Um, I think she's more famous for a member of the wedding, but I love Heart is a Lonely Hunter more. And, and it, it is, the title I think is the best title it's of any a great book ever. title. And, and if you just sit and meditate on that title it it is already heavy um the book is beautiful and the characters are so alive and and it's absolutely heartbreaking um but it you see it in every day you can see it in so many people and it can help you connect to other people in a way, you know, to be just open to what other people are going through. You have no idea, you know, what other people are going through. And you don't necessarily have to, but, you know, if we approach people with more tenderness in life, I think we'd all be a lot better off. Um, And I think she treats everybody, every character that way, even the characters who are not great people. You know, there's, there's something you can find in them that you can understand where they're coming from.
0: Well, you kind of have to. And I think that's one of the best things about the arts in general, but, and that's why I wasn't surprised when you were talking about having, you know, a great deal of empathy and, you know, for your, your unseen subjects, Mm -hmm. you know, in some of, some of your rooms.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, she, her work was filled with that. I mean, I don't, you know, it was, I know she had that in life. She was a bit of a difficult person, but I you know, I think some some people live that empathy and it's hard or they just have the work with her. She had her work and her characters in her head all the time. And it was hard to have other people understand that, you know, um, especially so did, a very traditional town.
0: Right. So what did you do in her house?
1: So I made an installation entitled Flight in Place. So this is... I, I did a sort of a practice run of this installation um, in Augusta, Georgia, once. Um, and it was my first go-around, so it wasn't a great installation. But um, I talked to um, Nancy Solomon, who was my the gallery. I was with her gallery at the time. And she offered such great advice and, and criticism. And we talked about it at length and how... Um, that part of my practice could be improved. You know, it was just a new territory. So I didn't give up on that piece because I really liked it. And ultimately, it's going to be part of a much bigger project. But um, Flight in Place is perfect because um, it's about a person who wants nothing more than to get out of their house and out of the town they live in to experience the world. But it seems impossible, um, either through the fear of actually having your dreams fulfilled or um, not knowing how to s- where to start. So um, there are bookshelves filled with books. Every book is a travel book on a different part of the world. And those books are heavily tabbed with post-it notes, as if they have poured through every book. And marked everywhere they want to go. And where they want to go is everywhere. And there are maps. There's a world map on one side of the room that has post-it notes with places. Not towns, but like attractions. Places in the world to see. And it's covering the map. And then there's on the other side a map of the United States. And it's the same thing. There are magazines. There are... um, There are um, journals that have pictures of places in the world. So what the person is doing, it's repetitive. They're constantly looking at things, even though they clearly have seen everywhere there is to go in the world because I've tabbed all of these books. But it's repetitive because this is an obsession. There are clocks. uh, So also there are clocks on the dresser. There are 12 of them, and each of them are set to a different time or a place in the world, and there's a name of a city. And then behind the dresser are it's a whole wall full of uh, postcards. Clearly, all of her friends and family get to go places and they send her postcards, and she puts them on the wall. I don't have any souvenirs because that might imply that she or he has actually gone somewhere. Right. Um, there's a stack of passport applications as if every time they go to the post office they get another one but they're not filled out
0: this is hitting very close to home
1: (laughs) um so the thing about this room in this house is that there are metal bars on the windows and they're decorative but they're also a safety thing there was In my house next door, there was one of those on the window, I think in my parents' bathroom. But this house has them all over the house. And they're painted the same color as the house, but that's specifically what they were for. Um, But it adds everything to this installation. And I knew they were there. So, you know, it's this added addition of structure of the house um, making this person feel trapped. And then if you're in there if it's just one or two people and you're really quiet you hear all the clocks ticking and they're just a little bit off so it adds to this idea of whiling away the hours and on the door to the bedroom is a map and on it is written um Walt Whitman's um I can't remember the name of the poem but it's about leaving home um and um finding oneself not at home but you're you know, this person clearly feels they belong in the world just as the per- you know and if you're a a teenager it's you know you put someone in the door something like keep out but this is this is this person's keep out so right. and they're clearly you know either a teenager or in their young their 20s um just feeling anxious in their own home and skin like that is not really where they're meant to be right but the actual um fruition is questionable so it's sad you know but i mean i felt like that when i was growing up you know i loved being a kid in in columbus but everywhere else seems so amazing to me just somewhere else being somewhere else seeing something else living somewhere else um, I didn't feel trapped, but I knew that I had to get out. Um, and Carson felt that way very often too. So there was this connection of her and me. And then the space was very conducive to. It wasn't really about her, but I mean, it, there was a part no, of her. Clearly,
0: in it. thematically, though, it, it ties together. Yeah, really, I mean, I didn't really think really I nicely.
1: could do anything in the house that didn't have something to do with her. You know? Right. Just to have just not like an homage to her being a great author but just to that i was trying to have an understanding of her as a person
0: right that sounds amazing that's one of the biggest um surprises in my life for me is that i have not traveled hardly at all and i had wanderlust and i mean i still do Mm -hmm. but like if you'd have told me you know at 13 or 12 that you know i would not have traveled the world You know, at this point, I would have, you know, called you a liar. Uh, (laughs) I can relate to that. That's cool. Well,
1: it's never too late.
0: That's true. We're working on it. We are working on it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Hudgens Award and that process and what that is like, one, to be nominated and how validating that must feel. And then also talk about not winning and what does that do for an artist and what is your self-talk kind of going into and do awards how, how do you view awards in this the, these kind of processes
1: i think the main thing that um i know in processes like this is that every step of the way it's subjective and it depends on you know, there's always a group of jurors pulled from different parts of the country or or wherever. So you never know. And um, I've been on a jury. I went to um, Ohio once to be on a jury to select um, artists for grants. And the other two people on it, we we got along very well and we had very good discussions. But When we were finished, it was a two-day process, and we were at lunch... Um, one of the, the other women said, you know, it's very possible that we would have had a different outcome if we had done this after lunch. And that's true, and it's true for everything. If, if you sleep late that day and you're not in the best mood and you come to this jury and you have a different attitude than you would the day after. So on the day the judges met and conferred, I was picked as a finalist w- along with the three other artists. And so I, I do know that it's not, you know, it's definitely validating because you sit here and you do your work and you're in your studio and you make it and you put it out there. And for someone to say, you know what, that's some good work. You know, you're working hard. I see that, you know, um, you're serious, you're making some progress, and you're, you're I, I find this to be successful and wor- worth another look. Um, so that's that's very validating. And when it doesn't happen, I mean, for every time I've been a finalist or got something, there are 100 times that I've been rejected. You know, that's just the way it goes. Um, so it does. Go, it does feel good. And I definitely enjoyed the honeymoon period like right after um, it was announced and everybody knew um, one of the other finalists. Jiha Moon is one of my best friends. So it was nice that we went through this whole process together. Um, they certainly picked four worthy artists, so that's good. Um, it, it was a long process because it was announced, the finalists were announced in December and we the f- winner was announced at the end of September. So oh, wow. it was quite a long process. Um, we had a, a show um, that started in August. So it was a nice opportunity to sort of take a chance and make an installation in a gallery um, and make some new pieces. Um, you know, it was a long process. And and that was in my mind for 10 months. Um, That's a lot. And not winning, you know, there are three other people. I mean, there are two other people besides me who didn't. And then this is the fourth go round of the Hudgens Award. So that means there are 12, you know, 11 other people who did not win. And I would say that all of the 11 people who did not win are stellar artists. I mean, beyond belief. So it just, you know, somebody has to win and three people don't. So it's, you know, it's a bummer for sure. But, you know, I can't let it get me down because it happens all the time. You know, I got to be a finalist and so right. that's nice. And, you know, I move on um, because I can't let stuff, if I let stuff like that get me down, I would not be working at all because I've been applying to things for years. And, you know, it's just nice when every once in a while you, you get something. So right. I, it's just, um,
0: Well, it reminds me a little bit of being an actor, you know, and you just, you get to the point where rejection is, is not, it is nothing. Yeah. You know, it is just, it's actually the norm and that is the part of the process and, and what you're saying about, you know, jurors coming in and you serving on the the jury is, you know, I've been on both sides of the desk as Mm -hmm. an actor and a writer and a producer and a director. So you, you do know that things of like, you know, you always hear the story of, you know, the man not getting the job because, you know, he looks like the director's boyfriend or something, or ex-boyfriend, or you're know, like these, and these things happen. Yeah. And it's, but it can be, sometimes it's easier to say that than it actually is to put into practice and really concentrate on the process mm-hmm. involved. Um, yeah. But I think it probably helps that you have other things going on as well. and. Oh, yeah, other it definitely projects.
1: does. You know, you just move on, you know, to the next thing. And just yeah, you have to get a tough skin when mm. you're in any creative business because there's always going to be somebody who hates your work, who thinks it's terrible, and they're going to write about it in an article or somewhere. And
0: do you read reviews? Do you I do. Read reviews? Yeah,
1: I do. Um, I mean, I've been fortunate to, you know, there have been some, you know, some here and there that have been critical, but I mean, I've I've been fortunate. Um, enough to just have a few of those. But, you know, I, you have to let yourself feel down about it and then say, okay, it's one person's opinion and I'm just going to move on. Right. You know, because you have to, you know, it's all subjective and that's just the way it is. Yeah. And if you can't handle it, you just can't, you know, all of this is about. Putting it in front of people. And, you know, that really does take a level of courage to just say, I made this, and I'm going to show it to everybody.
0: Exactly. And it's
1: online, and it's in this gallery, and people can say anything they want. And if you can't be okay with that, then you're going to have a really hard time. You know, you have to – I am a very sensitive person and I get my feelings hurt but when it comes to work I'm not I I can take you know someone coming in and having critical things to say um, or a critical review um, and I can either use it or not you know I can disagree with their opinion or I can say well I haven't really thought about it that way and and grow as an artist.
0: Were you always like that or is that something you learned along the way? I think it just started
1: in graduate school. You know, I just knew, okay, well, this is serious and if I'm going to be serious, you know, I have to be tough and so I'm just going to be and so whenever I would have a bad critique, I would just, you know, I mean, I let myself be upset about it for a little while because, there's no reason to That's deny part of the process it. process You know, you can be upset. But then I would just say, okay, I'm going to move on, you know, and I'm just going to do that, and I'm going to be fine. And I'm still working, so it's it's worked so far. right? So, you know.
0: Now, I think I read somewhere that you were um, thinking about or investigating the possibility of doing some video work as well. Is that, yes. Is that true?
1: Yes. So, I won an idea capital grant um, to – Do a video. Yeah, so some of the ideas that I have in my head that I've been thinking about for a really long time will not work um in a 2D or even, you know, an installation format. It's gotta be time based. So, um, for it to work. So I have that I got that grant before I found out I was a Hudgens finalist, so I've had to sort of put it in the back of my mind for a little bit to focus on this but now I have to get back to it so in in the meantime I have done sketches and figured out that the idea that I proposed I absolutely hate and it's going to (laughs) be terrible so I have another idea and much better so I am you know with this I'm going back and researching I'm like watching video art and um trying to learn all the nuances of it and giving myself a crash course, I guess, and reading about it and um, taking all of that knowledge and just say, okay, well, now I need to do what I need to do and figure it out. Um, So it's very new, but I guess it's almost inevitable, you know, that any photographer's going (laughs) to dabble in video and either it's going to work and be great and I can keep on that road, in addition to this or it's just not gonna work and you know, I'll visit it every now and then. But I have to try, you know, I have these ideas that I wanna um put out there and yeah, I wanna see if it'll if it'll be successful.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do. Just like, you know, having the installation, you know, versus a photograph of the installation and having like being able to play with the clocks and sound like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I you got all these new toys and new things to play with, you know, with video and
1: exactly and motion. I mean, you know, even though I'm a contemporary artist, I am still an art historian and think back to artists like Marcel Duchamp. who just, I mean, he used everything, you know, he painted, but then he just, you know, used everything he could. And that really opened up the world to other artists. Just, you know, because you're trained as a photographer doesn't mean you have to stay with that. Because you're trained in metal arts it doesn't mean that that's where you have to stay. If you're interested in something else, you you should learn that craft and that skill and get good at it for sure. But if it's going to convey your idea better, then you need to jump in because you have all of these things at, at your beck and call if you want to use them. I mean, it never occurred to me I would be using resin or or ceramics in artwork. But it's a material that completely suited our needs, and so I used it. And now I love it. And now it's something, you know, I may not ever use it in a photo um, or an installation that isn't part of this work, but now it's something I've learned about it's in your toolkit yeah now it's my toolkit so now um you know there's a lot more to there's a lot to learn with video i mean there's it's it's definitely another animal and it's definitely more technical and there's sound and all of these things that i've never dealt with before but um you know it's doable i have plenty of friends who are really great at it who i can ask for tips that so, is
0: nice to have. Yeah. But it's continuing the, continuing the conversation. You know, it's exactly. about your eye. It's about communicating. It's, I don't know, I'm really excited to see what you do. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. We've got one little round of, I'm going to call them perennial questions because I'm going to ask okay. them to everyone. Uh, your answers can be short or long. Uh, your choice. Um, do you or did you growing up uh, have a favorite bookstore?
1: Oxford books here in Atlanta
0: and what do you like about it
1: it was not a chain the one of the original ones I think it was on far road was this round building and it was almost like a maze and I always loved going to bookstores but that one was almost like a I don't know it had secret almost secret passageways and an upstairs and it felt homey and it was it was kind of magical
0: cool uh there's a fire at your house all your family and pets are safe you have just time to grab three objects and you can grab objects that are extremely heavy (laughs) and put them in your pocket and go but what three objects would you grab
1: uh if there are three photo albums Um the glasses that were my grandmother's that like she had these jaw um, like glasses that were I think they were Victorian that she Like oh, you drink out of glasses. yeah, but she had them on her displayed on shelves in her window in her dining room and that is a huge part of my history and memory and they are incredibly important to me. And I think that's probably it.
0: Well, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, what is your go-to beverage at a bar? It does not have to be alcoholic, by the way. But cocktail party, what's, the, what's your standard order? Uh,
1: my standard order is... Or- um, I don't want to sound uppity, but it is champagne <laughs> <laughs> or Prosecco. <laughs> sparkling wine.
0: There are sparkling wines. So yes. That's not uppity anymore. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, dry, rosé. Do you have a preference? Dry. 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 Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a book or a film that you think everyone should see or read?
1: East of Eden by John Steinbeck.
0: I've never read that. Oh. Tell me why.
1: There's so much amazing, amazing range of human nature, and the idea of expectations of other people on other people, of um, uh, people seeing someone is perfect, but you're not perfect. Um, expectations of what someone thinks you want in life, but you don't. Um, dark human nature and struggle with that or completely giving into it I and mean, it just doesn't end outstanding i love the way he writes too and there's humor a little bit but yeah
0: all right i'm gonna put it on the list uh what would other people say your superpower is memory oh yeah oh that's a double-edged sword
1: <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah, What's your go, how far back
0: do you go? Or is it just details of.
1: I remember details. Uh, yeah, I remember details that other people made. Yeah, not. That, Maybe not like certain sequences of events or, you know, sometimes those get foggy, but I, I remember details about people.
0: That's yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And so you would agree that that is your superpower? Yes. As well. So they're right. Um, do you have a favorite failure of yours? that you were able to rebound from or that helped shaped who you are now?
1: Well, it's current. so I And I can just show you. So I made, um, I had done an, a last photo for um, the show at Hudgens, and I went all the way through to photographing it, sending the film out, Taking it to the lab and getting a proof print, and I realized it was awful. And so,
0: what made it awful in it your eyes? It just
1: didn't work the way that I have it set up. It is on the right there that image, um, and it has all of the matches. It looks like streamers, but it's right. matchbooks. Um, oh well. And i I just knew that I had it right. And it was a huge failure because I was gonna put that in the show. It was gonna be another new piece. Um, and it was a huge letdown, but it's okay. Cause I'm gonna do it again. I mean, okay. it was a big failure because I was expecting to have this other new piece. Right. Um, but it's fine. Cause I'm gonna do it again.
0: And how do you know, like, I mean, this is what makes an artist talented, but so how do you know that doesn't work? I
1: hated the lighting. Okay. And I hated, I thought that the yellow walls were going to be perfect. So I saw, I was trying, I think I know every Airbnb place available yeah. in, the, in the metro area. I believe you. And I saw this one image of this place that had yellow walls and a pink sofa. And I thought, oh, that's it. Whereas I had wanted for so long for the walls to be wood paneled and then I just sort of ditched that and painted, and then I did that in here. And then I tried to wrestle up all this furniture and I thought it was great, but then when I was shooting it, I was thinking, maybe, maybe not. Okay. I cannot get the light right. And I shot it twice, different times a day. I shot it four times, actually. I've never done that before. Um, and then I got it back and I just knew it wasn't what I wanted it to be, Okay, just didn't have the impact. Um, so it was a colossal failure, but it's fine. Um, you know, it happened, you know, at the same time as it all being very stressful and then, you know, not, you know, not winning and just all of that stuff happened at sort of the same time, but I'm Okay because I know I'm gonna do it again and it's gonna be better.
0: I love it, So I love it. Yeah. Uh, one final question, uh, who are the artists out there that um, people who are not necessarily in the art world should be paying attention to?
1: Andrea Zittel, so she's she's been working for a really long time but her work is very much about living systems and how we live and creating, a, your living space so that everything has its space and like it's almost like a circle so the most important thing here at least you know and so you go about your day and everything is organized so all that is almost an autopilot so you're free it's this freedom to reach another level of existence um so I really love her work. She's been around a long time. Um, Sarah Z, because she creates these amazing installations. There was one at the High Museum here in Atlanta um, a couple of years ago that are about living systems and organizing. They almost look like labs, um, experiments. Um, let's see who else. As far as photography, um An old favorite is William Eggleston. I mean, he's still around, but he was the first person to really have a a show in color photography and was a pioneer in that. Um, There are some younger artists working these days who um, have a lot to say about the landscape of America and um, our place in it, um, such as um, Joshua Dudley Greer, And, um, he went to Georgia as well, but we didn't go at the same time, but, um, people should pay attention to his work. It's really, he travels the country several times a year and finds just different aspects of American life and what we're doing to, they're not really people in there, but what we're doing to each other, what we're doing to our environment, our country, and, um, it's subtle but it's all it's also very strong i would say um you know wherever you live go and see artists and see their work um there's a show at museum of contemporary art of georgia right now by um, paul stephen benjamin his work is called pure black and it's very um strong work it's um about race and and our society and it's very subtle but it's also very strong um you know i mean there's just everywhere there's good work every city there are strong artists and just because you're not in new york doesn't mean that there isn't really good work out there um it's everywhere so just go go and see and experience and you'll get something out of anything you see
0: Sounds like good words to, uh, to leave on. Uh, Sarah Hobbs, thank you so much for your time. I'm a huge fan, and I really enjoyed this.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, or you can sign up for the Flock email, a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.